for being here again for the next episode of our Friday Weekly Podcast, the Class Action Weekly Wire. I am Jennifer Riley, partner at Dwayne Morris. Joining me today via Zoom um, are my colleagues. Um, first, my colleague and fellow partner, Michael Z. Marino, and secondly, my colleague and associate, Tyler Zimek. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast this week. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Today, we wanted to discuss some trends and some important rulings in the area of appeals in class action litigation. What were some of the most significant developments related to this area in 2022? Michael, can you address that? Sure. So uh, appeals in class action litigation, um, whether they're involving a trial court's uh, interlocutory order or a final decision, um, were a, a key focus for uh, class action plaintiffs and defendants alike. Uh, for plaintiffs, counsel um, may wish to appeal uh, decisions denying class certification or decisions that uh, grant class certification, uh, but as to a limited subset of the plaintiff's proposed class. And for defendants, uh, you know, we saw the opposite. Uh, they, they often wish to immediately appeal an order granting uh, class certification um, and try to hedge off what could you know, otherwise be a very expensive and um, tedious litigation. And bouncing off of that point, um, parties really have limited options when it comes to seeking interlocutory appellate review of a class certification decision. The primary mechanism that most parties use is Rule 23F of the federal rules. And under that rule, a party must file a petition for permission to appeal with the circuit clerk within 14 days after the order is entered. That is the protocol in the majority of cases. Yeah, that's right. And, and I would just add that um, parties can also seek interlocutory appellate review of a uh, district court's decision uh, that involves class certification, um, in addition to uh, a broader array of decisions issued in, the, in, in class actions uh, under uh, 28 U.S.C. Section 1292B. Uh, Section 1292B uh, appeals are uh, especially helpful in, in complex uh, cases uh, to correct early errors on questions of, of law uh, that if were left um, un unattended or uncorrected un un until final judgment uh, would, you know, might otherwise require the parties uh, to do years of expensive and time-consuming uh, litigation. What is or what are the primary differences between those options? That, that's a great question. Um, unlike in an interlocutory appeal under 28 um, uh, USC section 1292B, uh, Rule 23F um, is, is a little more streamlined insofar as it doesn't require the district court uh, to certify an issue for, for an appeal. In other words, appellate view is, um, is basically uh, discretionary and left entirely up to the, the circuit court of appeals. Um, another uh, important difference is that uh, Rule 23F um, does not include the potentially limiting requirements of Section 1292B, under which the district court uh, really can only certify an issue of appeal in, in narrow circumstances, where the um, specifically where the order involves a controlling question of the law as to uh, where there's a su substantial ground for difference of opinion 
and where an immediate appeal from the order may materially, uh, materially advance the ultimate termination of the litigation. So 23F um, doesn't have that built-in standard that Section 1292B uh, does. And how successful generally are those petitions under Rule 23F? Not super uh, successful. So studies show that appellate courts deny um, about 70% of Rule 23F petitions to uh, appeal class certification decisions. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, most of those uh, denials are uh, accomplished via a summary order. So there's no, uh, no published uh, or un unpublished op opinion um, in fact, we only really see a published or un uh, unpublished opinion explaining the reasons for a denial um, around 10% of the time. Do you have any examples of rulings uh, where these petitions were granted um, over the past year? Well, I'm glad that you asked that, Jen. I think one good case that comes to mind is a very interesting one called Enray EI DuPont C8 Personal Injury Litigation. And basically, the plaintiff in that case sued manufacturers of chemicals called PFAs, which are at this point in time so widespread that they can be found in the blood of pretty much every person in the United States. And so the plaintiff claimed that exposure to PFAs increases the risk of diseases like cancer. And he asserted nationwide tort claims and sought certification of a nationwide class of over 330 million people, basically all Americans. Um, the district court granted certification a limited Ohio injunctive relief class under Rule 23B2. And while that was a limited class based on, um, you know, relative to what plaintiff was trying to seek certification of, there were still 12 million Ohio residents in that class. And the district court also expressed a willingness to certify similar classes from other states that recognize the viability of the medical monitoring remedy. So that was a pretty um, extreme, some might say, um, class certification decision, and it led to the defendants seeking interlocutory appeal of that class certification order. And the Sixth Circuit granted the petition, and in doing so, it went through the standards that applied to a petition for Rule 23F interlocutory review, and the court articulated why the panel believed the defendants should prevail in their appeal, including further review as to whether the plaintiffs had Article III standing and whether the class met the commonality requirement. Actually, another good case um, that uh, is an example of, of a court granting um, uh, a petition uh, to review under Rule 23F. In that case is uh, Lodato at L versus EQT Corporation. And there the plaintiff um, sought compensation for the defendant's use of plaintiff's underground space for storing natural gas and sought to certify a class of uh, similarly situated landowners. Well, uh, the district court found class certification appropriate, but it did so with uh, a, a modified class definition. So the district court didn't accept plaintiff's proposed class and instead uh, ordered the parties to, to meet and confer on the definition of a class. Um, well, the defendant petitioned for appellate review under uh, Rule 23F and essentially argued that the district court erred in its class certification ruling. Uh, and plaintiffs responded that the petition should be dismissed as premature 
because the district court's order was essentially preliminary, preliminary and didn't actually grant class certification. Well, the Third Circuit said uh, said no. It, it rejected that argument and it stated that the district court plainly contemplated that any subsequent certification order would be limited to merely redefining the class. Uh, and it was important that the Third Circuit um, actually noted um, in its petition that you know, because of the apparent pressure of purported certification that purported certification places on a defendant to settle um, and because of the court's opportunity to facilitate you know development of the law on class certification that it would it would consider the uh, it would hear the appeal and consider the rule 23f petition those decisions are very interesting in terms of the different rationales that the court used in granting uh, rule 23f review in those cases um, can you think of any notable examples of rulings that denied Rule 23F petitions over the past year? Yeah, yes, I, I can speak to that. Um, there's uh, one case that comes to mind, and, and it actually um, uh, contrasts with uh, the, uh, uh, the the last case that I was just um, talking about, the uh, the, the Lodato case. Um, in this case, is um, uh, Grupo Televisa. Um, at Al versus Palm Trans Inc. Almogated Transit Union Local 1577 Pension Plan. Uh, it, it's a mouthful. Um, and in that case, uh, plaintiffs were investors who alleged that um, the defendant had bribed uh, the Federation Internationale de Football Association uh, to secure rights to uh, World Cup games. And the district court um, initially denied plaintiff's motion for class certification because the proposed representative was not typical of the case. But shortly thereafter, they, they found a new class representative, um, a, tr a transit union pension plan, and they were able to secure certification um, uh, with, their, with their new class representative. Well, uh, the defendant sought an immediate appeal to the Second Circuit, and uh, it, it argued that it faced hundreds of millions of dollars in potential liability stemming from you know, an improperly long class period. And uh, unfortunately, the defendant lost its argument for immediate review of the class status of, uh, class status of, its in, of the investors. Uh, and notably, the Second Circuit stated in a one paragraph order that uh, an interlocutory appeal is, is not warranted, um, you know, marking the second time the Second Circuit has uh, declined to intervene in, in, in class certification decisions in this case. Um, and so, uh, you know, in, in contrast to the Lodato case, uh, you know, the pleas that a class certification uh, ruling is going to, you know, drastically uh, extend litigation and um, increase exposure on the defendant, it, it, it fell on deaf ears within the Second Circuit. And I think another notable ruling in 2022 denying a uh, Rule 23F petition took place in MasterCard versus SCOMA Chiropractic. And in that case, the 11th Circuit explained its denial of a Rule 23F petition. So it wasn't one of those summary orders that um, Michael mentioned earlier. And the 11th Circuit noted that it considers the following five factors when deciding whether to grant interlocutory appellate review of a district court's, district court's class certification decision. And the five factors are one, whether the district court's ruling is likely dispositive of the litigation by creating a quote unquote death knell for either the plaintiff or the defendant. Two, whether the petitioner has shown a substantial weakness 
in the district court's class certification decision, such that the decision likely constitutes an abuse of discretion. Three, whether the appeal resolved the unsettled legal issue that is important both in this particular case and in and of itself. Four, the nature and status of litigation before the district court. And five, the likelihood that future events may make immediate appellate review more or less appropriate. And in denying the um, defendant's petition in that case, the 11th Circuit held that um, the defendant failed to satisfy any of those five factors. I would also just add that um, uh, there were three opinions by the Sixth Circuit um, about a week, within a week period in June of 2022, uh, in, in which the, uh, the Sixth Circuit explained its basis for den denying uh, the separate Rule 23F petitions. Uh, the, the first case is one called um, Aaron's at Al uh, versus Family Solutions of Ohio, Inc. And there the Sixth Circuit um, explained that a Rule 23F uh, gives it uh, unfettered discretion whether to, to permit an appeal uh, akin to the discretion exercised by the Supreme Court uh, in acting on efficient for certiorari. Um, and in that case, the Sixth Circuit ultimately rejected the defendant's uh, contention that uh, the appeal presented novel issues and that the defendant was likely to succeed on the merits and that review was appropriate to prevent uh, the incursion of uh, unnecessary costs and uh, in litigating the case for years. Um, the, the second case uh, was similar. Um, that case was Ray Macy's uh, West Stores, Inc. Um, and there the Sixth Circuit again described in similar terms its standard of re review regarding the 3F uh, petitions, um, and I found that issue uh, was not sufficiently novel to warrant a Rule 23F appeal. Uh, so, um, in, in both those um, uh, both those decisions, uh, the concept that the the issue before the court was not novel, um, what was a factor that led to the, the Sixth Circuit's denial of the uh, denial reviewing the Rule 23F petition. Yeah, and the. The third decision issued by the Sixth Circuit that week of June 2022 was in a case called INRE Ascent Resources Utica. And in that case, the Sixth Circuit basically elaborated further on the standard and the four factors that Mike mentioned um, being described in Arendt's and Macy's. And in the um, INRE Ascent Resources Utica case, the defendant argued that its Rule 23F petition should be granted based on the death knell factor because the risk of $90 million in damages threatened its entire business model and really resulted in the creation of undue settlement pressure on the defendant. The Sixth Circuit rejected that argument because the defendant's statements were devoid of context. Basically, they did not provide enough detail as to the um, quote unquote death knell factor. Thanks so much. Those are some great examples. Um, are there any notable uh, rulings involving appeals under Section 1292, um, particularly over the past year, that um, that you can think of? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, the most important appeal under 28 U.S.C. 1292B was in a case called NRA A&L Home Care and Training Center. The defendants in that case succeeded in obtaining interlocutory appeal 
under Section 1292B. And they did so on an issue of crucial importance in the class and collective action context. So the case involves the widely used two-step framework for deciding whether a proposed collective action should be certified under the FLSA. As I'm sure most of us are familiar with this standard, it involves the initial conditional certification stage, and then later the more robust um, stage where a defendant will usually move for um, decertification of the collective action after discovery. So in um, the underlying matter in this case, Holder versus AL Home Care and Training Center, the district court conditionally certified two of three proposed FLSA collective actions. Um, and the defendants asked the district court to join the Fifth Circuit in abandoning the two-step framework, which the district court denied. Um, regarding the Fifth Circuit, they basically are the one circuit in the U.S. that has strayed from this two-step FLSA conditional certification framework and really proceeded with a um, one-step robust certification standard. And um, importantly here, the Sixth Circuit accepted interlocutory review of the decision after the district court certified the two-step framework. And so the Sixth Circuit found the issue worthy of immediate attention under 1292B and it remains to be seen whether the Sixth Circuit will join the Fifth Circuit in um, in that regard. What an interesting decision. Uh, we'll certainly look forward to hearing about the Sixth Circuit's ruling in that appeal. Um, what else do you guys think that corporate counsel and employers should be on the lookout for um, in 2023 or during the upcoming year? Well, well, I think that appeals will continue to be granted sparingly. Um, there's nothing I've seen that suggests that that trend will change, um, at least not immediately. Uh, courts of appeals will continue to provide guidance to both sides uh, as to what will and what won't be successful in terms of uh, arguments in the petitions. And of course, you know, the parties are going to uh, push the envelope and novel approaches will continue to develop um, from both sides and they'll involve their strategies in order to obtain uh, success and uh, securing the appeals. Great. Well, again, thanks so much uh, for all of the great analysis that you all provided today. Uh, Michael and Tyler, thank you for being here with me. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you have any questions or comments on today's podcast, please send us a DM on Twitter at DM Class Action. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.